I understand the perplexity of so many people in the world in which we live when it comes to religious matters. You drive around a city and you see all these various churches, church buildings, wearing different names and practicing different denomination, different denominational teaching. And sometimes people ask the question, is it possible for me to just be a Christian, to know what the Bible teaches about the church? We're going to be talking about that in our study today. And I hope you'll give very serious consideration to the subject matter. I do want to say again very quickly how much we appreciate your presence today. We're grateful to those who are members here and the great work that you do, the encouragement that is provided on a daily basis. We pray for all who are sick. We've got a lot of folks that are sick and suffering, some who've lost loved ones. And so as Christians, we have the opportunity to pray and to encourage one another. And so I encourage you to continue doing that. Today, as we think about our lesson, the Church of Christ, I want to begin today by asking you this question. Is there a difference between a dog and a cat? The answer would be yes. Granite. Both have two eyes, two ears, a mouth, a tongue, a nose. Both have four legs, a tail. They have many similarities, don't they? But they're different. So when you ride around town and you see all the various church buildings wearing different names, practicing different teachings, the question, I think it's a fair question, are they the same? Is there a difference? If there is a difference, what would those differences be? Would it be possible for me to simply identify with the church that I read about in the Bible? If we want to be what the Bible says we can be, ultimately we have to go to the right source, don't we? That is the Word of God. I'm well aware of the fact that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of different religious entities, again, wearing different names, practicing different doctrines. So my question is, can I find the church of the New Testament? Because when you begin to look at the landscape and you see all these different churches, Protestant churches, the Roman Catholic Church, those who identify as Jews. Is there a difference? No doubt there are similarities. But what about the differences? What I want to do, and really I could spend a lesson on each point, and we don't have time for that today. But I want to encourage you to think about what the Bible says. You know, Paul in Romans chapter 4 at verse 3 asked what I believe to be a profound question. What does the Scripture say? 
When it's all said and done, it's really not what I think, what somebody else might think. The question is, what does the Bible say? The Protestant churches that are so prevalent in our world today, they didn't begin until hundreds of years after the establishment of the church that we read about in Scripture. The Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, did not come into existence until hundreds of years later. Matter of fact, the one who occupied the headship of the Roman Catholic Church did not take that position until centuries after the establishment of the Lord's Church. The Jewish religion, Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 at verse 14, was nailed to the cross. So I want you to think with me for a moment or two about the church of Christ. I want to begin by saying that when you look at the Bible, you can read of the church of Christ and her origination. The Bible tells us very plainly of God's desire to establish the church. It was in His mind, as Trent read a moment ago, before He ever framed the world. It was and is the eternal purpose of Almighty God. So if we ask the question, where then did the church originate? Who was the originator of the church? I would encourage you to turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul said, speaking of Christ, He is the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Encapsulated in that one verse, we have the fact that Jesus is the one who started the church. He was the originating cause, wasn't He? And Paul said He's not just the one who originated the church, He is the head of the church. The word beginning there means active cause. The source from which something sprang into being. And the idea is, Jesus is the one who brought the church into existence. Now if you go back to Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus was in the region of Caesarea Philippi, that northern Palestinian region, you remember He asked His disciples about His identity and they responded by saying, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Jesus then asked this question, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied to that statement of truth by saying, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood is not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. I also say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, in other words, upon this bedrock statement that you just made, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build, listen to him, my church. Jesus in Matthew 16, 18 promised to build his church, which tells us not only was Jesus the one who founded the church, 
Not only was he the originator of the church, but he's the foundation of it as well, isn't he? There are some who would say the church was built upon Peter. And if you look at two very key words in Matthew 16, 18, the word Peter means in the original a small pebble. It is masculine in gender, spelled P-E-T-R-O-S, Petros. Jesus didn't promise to build the church on the apostle Peter, but rather he built it upon the rock. The word rock there is feminine. It is spelled P-E-T-R-A-S. And Jesus is saying, I will build my church on this rock, this bedrock statement, this ledge, if you please, that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus promised to build the church. He built it. When did He build it? Pentecost Day. Everything up to Acts chapter 2 is pointing to the coming of the church. In Acts chapter 2, we have the establishment of the church that we read about in Scripture. So you think about it. You have the right person. That's Jesus. He's the one who founded the church. Luther didn't establish the church. The Wesley brothers didn't establish the church. Alexander Campbell, Thomas Campbell, they didn't establish the church. No, the Bible says Jesus established the church. He built it. And not only did He build it, the Bible says it belongs to Him, doesn't it? Why is that? Because He bought it with His blood. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul said, Take heed to yourselves, to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. So Jesus Christ is the one who was the originating cause of the church that we read about in Scripture. So you have the right person, the right period. Well, when was the right period? Daniel said the eternal kingdom, the church, would be established in the days of the Roman kings. So you've got the right person, you've got You've got the right period, and you also have the right place. Isaiah would say in Isaiah chapter 2, the word of the Lord would go forth from Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 2, you have people assembled in the city of Jerusalem to observe Pentecost. It was in Jerusalem that the gospel was preached in its fullness for the very first time. In Acts chapter 2, you read about those who gladly received His Word and were baptized. In verse 47, the Bible says, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So the church became a reality. God had foreordained the establishment of the church. Jesus was the agent by which the church came into being. So any church founded by anyone other than Jesus Christ, is not the church you read about in the New Testament. That's key number one. Number two, what about the church of Christ and her authorization? Now by that I simply mean there has to be something that regulates the conduct 
of the church. One of the unique features of the Church of Christ, we have no creed book, no catechism, no manual of faith. We simply take the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority, all power had been granted unto Him in heaven and on earth. And God the Father had said of Jesus in Matthew 17, verse 5, that we are to hear Him. Paul said in Colossians 3, Whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, you do it by His authority. The authority of the New Testament church is not a creed book, not a catechism, not a manual of faith. It is the Word of the living God. It's God's Word. That's the standard. You remember in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul said, but if I tarry long, I write these things so that you might know how to behave yourself in the house of God, the church of the living God. Paul wrote according to his letter to the church at Corinth, the commandments of the Lord, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37. The commandments of the Lord are what dictate the behavior of the body of Christ, right? Now you think about your life, the possessions that you have accumulated over a period of time, your assets. At some point in time, you're going to leave this world. How then are you going to control your estate? Well, what you do, you write out a will, don't you? We have the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called the law of Christ, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. It is identified as the perfect law of liberty in James 1.25. James also says it is the law of liberty in James 2, verse 12. So God's Word is what dictates the behavior of those who make up the church of Christ. So we're talking about a standard. There is a standard of authority. That standard is not what I think or what anybody else thinks. It's not what somebody has decreed, but rather it is what God in heaven has said. Now you remember in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to the apostle Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. In chapter 18, verse 18 of that same book, the Bible says that Jesus gave the keys of the kingdom of heaven to all the apostles. Today the church is regulated by the apostles' doctrine, Acts 2, verse 42. So listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. It's not what somebody says, but rather it is what God, through His Word, has said. That's our standard. So, what then can we deduce? Number one, any church that does not identify Jesus as the originating cause cannot be the church of the Bible. And then, any church accepting a standard other than the very Word of God cannot be the church of the New Testament. That means any church that has supplanted the Word of God with a manual of faith, a catechism, a creed book, is not the New Testament church. 
Listen, I know that to some, this is startling information. You may have never heard this, but somebody needs to tell you what the Bible says. We need the truth of God because ultimately, what's going to judge us? Not what I think, nor what you think or anybody else. It's not going to be based upon the political whims of those in Washington or the multitudes. But rather, Jesus said, He that rejects me and receives not my word has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken, He said, the same shall judge him in the last day. You're going to be judged on the basis of truth. Remember Pontius Pilate when he asked Jesus in the long ago, what is truth? That is a relevant question. And Jesus said, you can know the truth. The truth can make you free, John 8, 32. If you want to be a New Testament Christian, you must appeal to the truth of Almighty God. There's a third thing. The church of Christ and salvation. What does the Bible say about how to become a Christian? That is a relevant question, is it not? In the religious world today, if you were to ask somebody, what would you need to do to become a child of God, typically what would you hear? Well, most people would say, accept the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart and then recite after me. Many would quote the sinner's prayer. Is that what the Bible teaches? What was it Peter said? If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So if we want to know where the, the church originated, and if we want to know by whom the church originated, don't you think it would stand to reason that we would go to the same source to find out what we must do to become a child of God? I don't want to take somebody's word for it, do you? Didn't Paul say, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? In other words, you are to test what you hear by what? By the Word of God. The Bereans were considered noble in their day. You know why? Because they searched the Scriptures to see whether the things that they heard were true. Don't take my word, but rather you go to the source. You go to what the Bible says. If what the Bible says is right, believe it and obey it. And if what I say lines up with what the Bible says, then by all means believe it. But not, not, because, not because I say it, but rather because that's what the Bible teaches. So, you remember back in Matthew 16, Jesus promised to give the apostles, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. They were the ones that legislated the terms of admission into the church or the kingdom of God or the church of Christ. So on Pentecost Day, they're preaching to multitudes of people. And you remember Peter said, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus whom you crucified, God's made both Lord and Christ. When they heard this, Luke says, they were pricked in their heart or they were cut to the heart. In other words, the Word of God, that which they heard, convicted them of sin. So they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? I'm not going to tell you about what Peter says. I'm not going to approximate what he says. I'm going to tell you exactly what Peter says. You know what he said? 
Number one, you need to repent. God commands all men everywhere to repent. The people on Pentecost Day, they already believed in Jesus. He said to that great multitude of people, you men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by many miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in your midst, listen to him, as you yourselves also know. They knew who Christ was. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans, Romans 10, 17. They had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so based upon where they were, Peter said, you need to repent. That is, you need to change your life. Make a 180. And then he said, you need to be baptized into Jesus Christ. For what reason? Show the world you're a Christian? No. You need to be baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. In other words, so that your sins can be washed away or forgiven. That's what an inspired apostle said. It's not what I said. It's not what somebody else said. No, that's what the Bible said. I want you to listen to Jesus. Mark 16 and Acts chapter 2 are parallels. Jesus said, He that believeth, number one, and is baptized, number two, shall be saved, number three. If you understand that, you're well on your way to becoming a child of God. Now Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. I know what people say in the religious world. You bow your head, you say this prayer, accept the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart, you become a child of God. I want to ask you a question. Can you show me from the Scriptures? That's what God in heaven said to do to become a child of His. Can you show me that? If you can, listen, I'm on board. But if you can't show me that, then you need to do what the Bible says. You need to honor His Word. Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Saul of Tarsus was on his way to Damascus to bind those who were followers of the way. The Lord Jesus appeared to him. For three days, you know what Saul was doing? Fasting and praying to God. Now to hear some in the religious world, they would say Saul of Tarsus was already saved. That's not what the Bible teaches. No, the Bible says when Ananias arrived on the scene to talk to Brother Saul, he said, and why are you tarrying? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Baptism into Christ saves, Mark 16, verse 16. It is for the remission or forgiveness of sins, Acts 2, verse 38. It is for the washing away of sins, Acts 22, 16. The reason people need to be baptized into Christ is because that is the only way one can appropriate His blood. You mean to tell me we're saved by the blood of Christ? That ought to be obvious. The Bible says unto Him who loved us and washed us from our sins by His own blood. In Ephesians 1 verse 7, Paul said, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Jesus shed His blood in death. If then He shed His blood in death, in order for me to appropriate that, I've got to go where it was shed, don't I? 
Where was it shed? In death. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ Jesus did put on Christ. When you're baptized into Christ, you contact the blood of Christ, and without that, you can't be saved. You can't have your sins washed away or remitted or forgiven until you're baptized into Christ. Please hear me. I'm not saying baptism alone. No, the Bible teaches faith in God. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. We must repent of our sins, as we noted a minute ago in Acts 2, verse 38, Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Then we are immersed in water so that we might contact the blood of Christ, and then the Bible tells us we are placed in the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ? He's the head of the body of the church. Colossians 1.18 The church and the body are synonymous. How many times have you heard people say to you, and think about this for a minute, it's very important. How many times have you heard people say, you know what, you can be a Christian, but you don't need to be affiliated with the church. The church is a non-entity. I beg to differ. The church cost Jesus His blood. It is the blood-bought body of Christ. And the Bible teaches that those who are baptized into Christ are baptized into the body of Christ. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. By one Spirit were you all baptized into one body. Well, how many bodies are there? There's one body and one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. Now think about this. The Bible says there's one body and the body's the church. That means, according to what the Bible teaches, there's just one church. And if you're not in the one church, you're not saved, are you? In Romans chapter 12, Paul said, We being many members are one body, listen to him, in Christ. Salvation is in Christ, and it is in the church of Christ. I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm not talking about the Protestant world. Nor am I talking about the Roman Catholic Church. I'm talking about the church that you can read about in this book called the Bible. It's right there in black and white. You have the ability to read it just as I. So when people are added to the church, Acts 2 verse 47, remember that verse? The Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. You mean to tell me I don't have to be voted into the church? You mean to tell me I don't have to join the church? No, the Bible says God adds people to the church. Who does He add to the church? The saved. So you mean to say I've got to be in the church to go to heaven? Listen to Paul in Ephesians 5.23. He is the Savior of the body. What's the body? He's the head of the body of the church. Colossians 1.18. That means if you're not in the church, you're not saved, you're lost. That's it. You're without hope and without God in this world, Ephesians 2, verse 12. You remember in verse 13, Paul said, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off are brought near, made nigh, by what? By the blood of Christ. Paul is simply saying the blood makes the difference. The blood is applied when? When we're baptized into Christ. You see that, don't you? Listen, you need to pay attention to this. 
This, this is important stuff. If you're not a member of the body of Christ, if you're not a member of the church you read about in Scripture, my plea to you, you go home tonight and you start reading and studying and meditating on the truth of God. If you want to talk to any of us here, we'll be happy to talk to you and give you to the best of our ability. We'll try to give you book, chapter, and verse. Remember what Paul said? What does the Scripture say? That's all that matters. What does the Bible say? So we talk about salvation. Any church that does not teach what Peter taught in Acts chapter 2, please listen, is not, is not the church you read about in the Bible. I don't know how I can be any plainer. If you're not in the church and you haven't done what Peter said to do to get into the church, you're not saved. You are as lost as lost can be. And let me tell you what, you don't have any hope. You might have a silver tongue and you might have the ability to communicate far better than a lot of folks in this world. But let me tell you what, on the day of judgment, there will be no haggling with the Lord about your state. No, you'll either die in Christ or you will die outside of Christ. And if you die outside of Christ, you don't have any hope. So what about the church of Christ in her organization. Can I go to the Scriptures and find out how the New Testament church is organized? Well, universally speaking, the Bible says there's just one body. You remember Jesus said, I will build my church singular and possessive in nature. The church belongs to whom? To Jesus. It's His church. He built it. I know there are folks that will tell you Alexander and Thomas Campbell established the Church of Christ. That is not right. They did no such thing. They were born almost 1,800 years after the fact. When Paul wrote to the saints in Rome, he said in Romans 16, 16, the churches of Christ salute you. The church of Christ has existed for almost 2,000 years. So organizationally speaking, the Bible says there is one body and one head. There are not two heads and one body. There are not many bodies and one head. There's one head and one body. He put all things in subjection under His feet, made Him to be head over all things to the church. Listen to Him. Which is His body? Jesus is the head. The church is His body. Universally, there is no other organizational structure. No one has the right to arrogate himself to a throne here upon this earth and claim to be the Papa of the church. That's not in the Bible. And Peter was not the first Pope. Not in the Bible. Now think about that for a minute. I know what people in the world say. I'm not concerned with what people in the world are saying. I'm concerned with what the Bible says. Are you? When we talk about the church of Christ, geographically speaking, we can read of certain regions of congregations spoken of in Scripture. For example, in Galatians 1 verse 2, Paul writes to the churches of Galatia. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we have 
the seven churches of Asia Minor. That is, they were in a certain geographical location. Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, Sardis, Laodicea, etc. You get the point. Just one body, one church. But we're talking about lighthouses. Various congregations of God's people. Now what about the religious landscape? In the religious world, what you will typically see, this is what is, by and large, mostly prevalent. You'll have one man who serves as the pastor of the church. And then you have under him a board of deacons. The Bible doesn't teach that. No, the Bible says that they appointed elders in every church according to Acts chapter 14, verse 23. Paul left Titus in Crete to set in order the things that were lacking and to ordain elders in every church. Elders must meet the qualifications set forth in 1 Timothy chapter 1, or rather 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Titus 1, verse 5 and following. Elders in the church have authority... <clears throat> in matters of expediency. They have the responsibility of feeding the church and leading the church, protecting the church. They don't write new laws. They don't have that kind of authority. But rather, elders are the overseers, and then under them you have special servants identified as deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 8-13. Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, addresses those people, and he identifies the bishops and deacons with all the saints. Locally speaking, then, what do you have? You have the chief shepherd, which is Jesus. But you have a group of men who function as elders or overseers over a local congregation. They have no jurisdiction in another congregation. That's not what the Bible teaches. Every congregation is autonomous. The word autonomy means self-rule, self-governed. So you have autonomous congregations overseen by elders or pastors or bishops. Those words are synonymous in the Scriptures. Then you have deacons and then you have evangelists and simply members of the body of Christ. That's the organizational structure of the New Testament church. So what then can we conclude? If you see a church out here that claims to have a one-man pastoral system, please hear me. That is not the New Testament church. Can't be. Why? Because that's not what God in heaven legislates. So, the church of Christ, in her origination, her authorization, her salvation, her organization, and then what about her adoration? How does the church how does the church engage in the various acts of worship? Can I go to the Bible and tell what they did in the first century? And if what they did conflicts with what I'm doing now, what would what then would be the conclusion to draw? I'm not in the New Testament church. 
In John 4, 24, Jesus said, God's Spirit, they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Truth is what regulates the worship of the New Testament church, right? So you have those who offered prayers to God, corporately speaking, Acts 2, verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and prayers. And you remember the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, verse 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. The word for men there in the context of corporate worship is male only. What are you saying? God legislates that those who engage in leading corporate worship are male only. Paul said, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over a man. You mean to tell me then that a woman can't be an elder in the Lord's church? That's exactly right. Elders are to be married men and they're to have believing children. So, women can't be elders. Women don't serve as deacons. Please hear me. Women don't have the authorization to preach. They don't have that authority. Paul said, I do not permit a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man. If you see a congregation where a woman claims to be the preacher of that congregation, you know right off the bat they were in violation of what the New Testament teaches. That's what the Bible teaches. You need to listen. You need to match what you practice with what the Bible teaches. Truth's going to set you free. You're going to be judged on the basis of truth. So then, very quickly, we talk about prayers to God. We partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. We don't do it We don't do it annually. We don't do it semi-annually. We don't do it quarterly. No, the Bible says the early church met every first day of the week. Acts 20, verse 7. We have the preaching of the Word. We have the giving of our means, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 and 2. And then we have the responsibility to sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. There is no authority in the New Testament for the use of mechanical instruments of music in worship to God. I can give you verses that suggest we are to sing, but there is not one verse in the New Testament that tells us to play an instrument in worship to God. The instrument that is to be plucked or played according to Paul is what? The human heart. Sing and make melody where? In your heart to the Lord. Church of Christ. And you can check this out biblically and historically. The early church did not use instruments of music in worship to God. I know what the world teaches. I know what denominations practice. I'm not talking about what they use. I'm talking about what the Bible authorizes. It's all that matters, isn't it? And then the church of Christ in designation. People sometimes say, you know, it really doesn't matter about the name. You believe that? Does it matter about the name you wear? If as a husband, your wife said, you know what, I think I'll take so-and-so's name over here. What would you think about that? I mean, think about this. 
Is there something in a name? Well, sure there is. Is there a difference between a Chevrolet and a Ford? Is there a difference between a Toyota and a Lexus? Is there a difference between a pickup truck and a sedan? Well, of course. Does it matter what name we wear? Yes, it does. When I talk about the church of Christ, I'm not talking about a denomination. All I'm saying is the church. Here's what the Bible says. The church belongs to Christ. That's what we're saying. Don't you want to be a member of the church that belongs to Jesus? It's the one you read about in the Bible. Now, in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, they were identified as members of the church. That term is found some 95 times in the New Testament. You can read about the church, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the church of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. You can read about the church of the living God, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Those are biblical names. That's what the Bible teaches. Individually, what do you read about in the Scriptures? I can read about believers, Acts 5, 14. I can read about disciples, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. I can read about followers of the way, Acts chapter 9, verse 2. I can read about saints in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. I can read about brethren in Colossians 1, verse 2. You will never hear in the New Testament one person identifying themselves other than what is said in Scripture. Just take your choice. ABC denomination or Protestant church. And sometimes you'll hear people say, well, you know, I am XYZ and a Christian. Can't be both. You can't be both. You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. Acts 11 verse 26, the Bible says they were called Christians first in Antioch. Why would you want to give glory to some other person? Many years ago, people chided the Campbell family because they had this idea the Campbells started the Church of Christ, and so they called them Campbellites. Look, if I'm in the church that Alexander Campbell started, I'm in the wrong church. I'm not a Campbellite. I'm not a Lutheran. I'm not a Baptist. I'm not a Methodist. I'm not a member of the Roman Catholic Church. I am a Christian, and Christian only. That's what the Bible teaches. And I would encourage you, you go back and you look at the Scriptures. And please listen very carefully, and I mean this in the kindest way I know how. Please listen. You will never read of the Baptist Church in the Bible, not one time. You'll never read of the Methodist Church in the Bible. Nor will you read anything about the Roman Catholic Church, not one place. You know why that is? Because those things didn't exist in the first century. I know sometimes it's hard to hear something that we've never heard before. I'm saying these things not to hurt anybody. I want to help you. I want you to be able to read and find the church in the Bible. 
You know, I could pull out the yellow pages and I could go down the yellow pages and I would read about a lot of different churches wearing a lot of different names, a lot of different locations, practicing a lot of different things. But we're not going by the yellow pages, are we? We're going by what the Bible teaches. If you're interested in learning more about the New Testament church, I know I've gone over time. I didn't mean to, but I have. This is really important. And listen, I'm not trying to say the church of Christ is better than any denomination. What I'm saying is the church of Christ is not a denomination. It is non-denominational. It is pre-denominational. It stands alone. In closing, I ask you today, are you a member of the church you read about in this book called the Bible? If you're not, why not do what they did on Pentecost Day? It's easy. Repent, be baptized, let God add you to the church, and then be faithful. And the promise is the crown of life. If you're here today and maybe you haven't been faithful, I plead, I encourage you, please come back to God as we stand and sing.